0: About three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, we discussed the Jerusalem Council, which was the subject of Acts chapter 15, and I just want to kind of conjure it back up into your, your, your memory, um, because I think it bears importance on today. If you remember, the Jerusalem Council was, a, was in a council of the apostles and elders of the churches who gathered to respond to a controversy that was working itself out in the local churches. So there was a concern for the health of the broad church of Jesus Christ because Paul would come in and say one thing and plant a church and leave, and people would come in behind and say another. And so there was, uh, you might think, a global division in the church as to uh, what is what is uh, God's will for, for Christians. And this is, if to sum up the topic, um, like generally speaking, what was at stake was... Uh, the role of Jewish custom with regards to our right standing before Jesus Christ. So nobody was denying that you have to come to Jesus by faith. No one was denying that Jesus was the atonement for sins. But some people were implying that what Jesus Christ has begun through faith and atonement, uh, the law of Moses would finish, which is the absolute reverse of the reality. What Moses began through God, Jesus Christ fulfilled. But what was happening is they were saying there should be an angle of God's people towards the Jewish customs. And most notable of those customs was the issue of circumcision. Do people need to be circumcised in order to receive the salvation promised by Jesus Christ? Some were saying yes. Some, to include Paul, were saying no. And it came at a head at the Jerusalem Council. And as they met and uh, kind of deliberated and, and prayed and testified on this issue, they came to a conclusion that no, one does not need to be circumcised, that there is no custom, there's no earthly custom that draws us into right standing with the Lord. But it is in fact only our faith before God that matters. And that is the, the, our only hope for kind of being received by the Lord at the great day when the book is read is our faith in Him. Which is such good news to the churches. Well, a letter, a letter was composed, and in the letter was this great affirmation. And then beneath the letter was also some sensitive issues to encourage the churches to remain sensitive um, to their body. And this letter was sent out to the churches as a way of affirming them, affirming them. And if you're looking at the chronology of the book, when we I'm going to read sixteen one through five. This is happening at the same time. Okay, so this is roughly a coincident event. The letter going out to the churches and Paul and Silas heading out on their first missionary journey. And I'm going to read, I know we read it last week, but I'll read it again, the first five verses of the 16th chapter. He, that's being Paul, he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers." Now, what just happened? Did you see it? The Jerusalem Council has just met and said categorically, you do not need to be circumcised to enjoy the full blessing of salvation which is found in Jesus Christ. They just met. The apostles agreed with one voice on this issue. The church of Jerusalem agreed with the apostles on this issue. The elders agreed. They all agreed. They're sitting in this letter. In fact, Paul and Silas are bearing this message on this trip. Did you see it? The fourth verse? As they traveled from town to town, what did they do? They delivered the decisions reached. So they are on a journey of delivering this very message. Paul meets Timothy and does what? He says, you have to be circumcised. Paul has Timothy circumcised. Timothy didn't brainstorm this. Okay, this isn't a tattoo. Paul told Timothy, you need to get circumcised. I thought they were just freed from this. I mean, God has set them free from it. It, This is uh, like a divine moment. I, I I know that Luke was grinning when he wrote this. To write chapter 15 and then turn right around and four verses later in the 16th chapter write this, you know he's just enjoying uh, just the irony of the faith in doing this. Hasn't God freed Timothy from this? The apostles have freed him from it. The church of Jerusalem is freed from it. They're free. They're carrying a letter on their person that says, you do not need to be circumcised. They've been free from it. Well this morning we're going to talk about freedom and what the purpose of freedom is what is our purpose of our freedom in Christ and this this little four verse uh, image here shows up right again just later in the missionary journeys of Paul let's let's jump down to the 11th verse this is where we, we ended last week last week we, we talked about the how to find the Lord's will or be in the Lord's will and And what transpires to set uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke at this point on a missionary journey uh, towards Philippi. But uh, here's the trip itself. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. One of the first questions when you're thinking of planning a church uh, that is asked or that a book will ask of you is, who is your target audience? Who are you trying to target? And it's an important question. Like, who is our target audience? I I certainly think it's a question that has to be asked. I'm not certain it's a first question. Um, I think it's a question that if you're going to be responsible, you have to ask. It's one of those questions you have to ask, but you may not have to answer. You know, sometimes you have to ask a question just to kind of determine the weight of a topic. And then you can go, well, we don't have the answer for it, but, you know, but we know how much it weighs. Because you see here, um, this is a perfect example of people on mission who are in fact planning a church. This is what they're doing, right? We have the letter of the church in Philippi because of what happened here. The church starts in the home of Lydia. So you have Paul planning a church in Philippi. And as he's planning this church, we know that Lydia is not his target audience. To to any degree, except for she's a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ and he wants her to know Jesus Christ. If that's our target audience, well, that should be our target audience, right? Right? that people who don't know Jesus Christ. But beyond that, we know that for for Paul's sake, he never in his wildest imagination thought he'd be in Macedonia planting a church. He was going to be down in Ephesus planting a church, in southwestern Asia Minor planting a church. So he's already wound up in a place that he doesn't even know, never even been to. He gets there and he's planting a church with people that he didn't even expect to see. There's not even a synagogue in the city of Philippi. To have a synagogue, you needed ten Jewish men in the city. That just gives you an impression of how little Hebrew presence is here. That for them to, to start... You know where they start? They said, we have to go outside the city to a generic place of spiritual prayer. And maybe we'll find some, something to start with. Some kind of, of kindling to start with. Because remember, there's that, that pattern of missionary work. This, the motherhood of missions. You find a sensible starting place. And then the second thing is, and God brings who God wants to the Lord. And that's what we see here. Is We don't see a lot of target group. We see, I'm here, and I'm going to try to start in the most sensible place and reach who I can. And in this case, he reaches Lydia. And he starts a church. Let's keep reading. 16 to 18. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Remember that, that pattern of missions. You find a sensible starting place. God brings who God wants to bring. And then when there begins to be reception to the gospel, there's going to be a rise in resistance. We talked about this, right? There's always, when the gospel begins to take root in an area, Satan shows up. And resists, and this is exactly what's happening in this case. In fact, literally speaking, literally translated, this woman has the spirit of a python, is what it says. The spirit of a python. Because the python was related to the god Apollo and, and all that's going on in Philippi. That's how, that's how the Greek actually says it is. She had a spirit of a python in her. It's ironic, given the way the serpent works against the work of God. But you have that here. You, you have um, someone, the, Satan showing up trying to stymie or get in the way of, of the work that Paul and Silas are trying to do. And, and, and Luke kind of sketches the whole image out very very, with very little detail. So we're kind of forced to assume certain sorts of things like, well, how is it that her saying that they're servants of the Most High God, how is that even getting in the way? And, and you know, I, I'm guessing, like, you might have to. But if it's loud and obnoxious, it's getting in the way. And if she is a for sale fortune teller, you know you might imagine that she's co-opting the work of Paul and Silas. Like They want a one, one ring circus and she's making a two ring circus. She's over here on the side and she's, she's attracting some people who are attracted to a spiritual conf- conversation. But some are being drawn over there because over there you can actually find out what's going to happen in your life. Wouldn't we all go there? We'd be tempted. I can hear about Jesus Christ or someone will tell me what, what's going to happen to me tomorrow for a small fee. Ah, I feel that? So, you know, maybe that's what's happening. She's co-opting the message or maybe this is divine or satanic spiritual sabotage in the sense that this demon is a kamikaze that's going to come in get exercised and blow the whole town up in a fury, which is exactly what happens here in a second. Let's look at this. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged they were thrown in prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul frees a young girl from the possession of a demon. He's flogged, he's beaten, and he's put in prison. There's times like this where we need to be reminded that evil is alive and active on this world. I mean, he freed a young girl from the possession of an evil spirit. The town flogged him, beat him, put him in prison, and shackled him. His rare moments when evil's that up in your face, and you can see it for what it is. Let's keep reading. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, it's a great story. Paul and, Barn- Paul and Silas are in prison. They're praying. They're singing. You can imagine, by the way, what else Paul and Silas are doing. I, mean, I had to imagine that they would be sharing about Jesus. By the way, you didn't pray silently back then, so it's not like the people are watching them pray. No, they're watching them pray, hearing them pray. Okay? And so you can imagine that while they're in prison, Paul is sharing the word of hope. You, know, you can even imagine that the jailer has heard something. Certainly he knows that they're servants of the Most High God who have come to show them the way to be saved because this girl has been screaming it day after day after day after day. So at the very least he knows that. But you can imagine that Paul's done other things. In, the, in another set of irony, the letter to the church of the Philippians was written from prison. So Paul's writing the church in Philippi from prison and he says this to them. He says, by the way, don't worry about me. I'm good. He says, I've been sharing the word of the Lord with all the, temple, all the guards. It's going great here. There's a mighty word going. In fact, I've sent Timothy to you to encourage you because it's going great here. That's in the letter of Philippians. And so Paul is the kind of person that when in whatever setting he's placed, he's going to seize the opportunity to reach because who's his target audience? I think it's lost people. I think it's just lost people. And so he's there, and he's praying, and he's singing. And you can imagine, like, at the crescendo of the best hymn that you can think, you know, at midnight, bam! This miraculous, divine earthquake. I mean, what kind of earthquake opens doors and drops shackles, but doesn't drop the building on you? You know, I mean... What kind of earthquake is that? And it, that happens. And, and there's, again, Luke is sketchy on details because he's going somewhere quickly, but I'll share with you. Is if you kind of put the pieces together, this is how I think it went down. Okay, So this, if you imagine, is Paul and Silas and other prisoners, by the way, are in the cell... There's singing and praying going on. And then there's this shock of an earthquake. And when that happens, there's chains fall off and the door swings open and the jailer awakes and it is pitch dark. Okay, We know that because in a moment, the jailer says he calls for lights and he rushes in. So there's no light. The door swings open. When he comes to and kind of comes out of his grog, what just happened? I was asleep. He sees the iron door kind of swinging open and he thinks, like, they're gone. So he draws his sword, because most likely he, as these things were back then, he's a retired Roman soldier or something, and this is a massive issue of shame. He draws his sword. He's going to take his own life because if he's failed as a jailer. And from within the room, Paul, Silas, and the other prisoners are sitting there kind of back in the dark watching. Like, it all happened at the same moment. I think they're in the room. Shake, right? Oh no! Ah, stop! I think it happens like that. I, I, I think it's happening very quickly. I, I don't think. I don't think that the door opened up and they were Paul and Silas were in there and all the other prisoners were like, well, "What do we do?" And Paul's like, ah, "I'll go wake up." Hey, the door is open. Can you can you lock it for us? I don't think it's. I think it all happened in cl- very quick concession earthquake. And they're sitting back there and the only thing between them and freedom is just keeping their mouths shut until this guy runs himself through. That's what I think is happening. That's a little different, isn't it? You're sitting there going he's going to make this very easy for us. After all, didn't God just set them free? God just did it, didn't he? Who doesn't think that God did this? Even the prisoners would be like, they were singing songs and praying. What do you think their prayers? I would I would pay to be a prisoner for a day to be in that cell listening to the prayers of Paul and Silas. Especially if I were like outside the faith just to hear. Oh man. I would, I would pay good money. I would commit a crime. Okay? To get thrown in jail to hear these prayers. But who knows? This is obviously spiritual because obviously God, they're praying, they're singing, this bizarre divine earthquake, the door swings open, all of this. God is giving them their freedom. It's theirs. Obviously God wants them to have their freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he says, stop. We're here now. The question I have for you is: At the what? What was the moment of conversion for this jailer? What is the source of his conversion? Because I'm a word preacher. I love the word. I love to talk about the word. So I want to be able, at some level, to say, "Well." He heard the story of Jesus Christ and he converted to the story. That's what I want to be able to say. But that is not what converted him. He doesn't even know the story. He knows these are probably two holy guys who have a divine earthquake on their side. He knows something like that. But, but his response to them when Paul says, Don't kill yourself, we're here, is What do I have to do to be saved? Which means that his, his conversion decision is coming before he has a knowledge. It's pre-word conversion. If there is such a category. It's whatever you have, I'll take it. I want what you have, just tell me about it. The answer is yes. What does it cost? I'll take two of them. It's it's that it's that idea. It's, he's already sold on Jesus. He just doesn't know the name of Jesus. He's already sold out on God. He just doesn't know. In fact, it says as much. It says so. He took Paul and Silas into his house, and Paul and Silas instructed him on the things of God. It Says it right there in the story. The Paul and Silas says, "Well, there's Jesus. Here's the story. Here's what you have to do." And he says, "That's it. I want it. Baptize me, and my family's all on board. We'll get baptized. We love this. Can we sing songs too? Where is Lydia's house? Let's go." That's what's happening here in the story. But the moment of conversion, it does not come from the teaching of the Word of God. We have to be honest about this, that the moment of conversion is coming because a Christian is forfeiting their earthly freedom because they have a freedom of which no one knows about. That's what converts. I don't care what your target group is. This brings conversion you know we sit here and we want to know what what are the the right ways and techniques for evangelism to do this kind of evangelism or this kind of evangelism this is the kind of evangelism that brings massive conversion and does a mighty work of the kingdom on your part it's for you to know what you're free to do and to sacrifice it for others that's what it is it's to live a holy sacrificial life in the face of the world where there is no good reason why you would do or not do the very things that you're abstaining from, why you would subordinate your material concerns that everybody else has for their sake, that brings conversion. It brings pre-word conversion. It brings, I want what you have. What is it? Tell me about it. And then, I don't care who you are, the gospel's easy. If someone says to you, tell me what you have and i'll take it no matter how scared you are you say well jesus died on the cross for my sins and then the conversation would begin to not unroll but begin to roll from there this is the freedom that timothy subordinates when he gets circumcised why would timothy get circumcised Because why in the world would a good Christian flaunt their physical freedom and their religious freedom in the face of someone to whom he's trying to bring the gospel? If he's going to step into a synagogue of Jews that he's trying to draw into Christ, why in the world would he step in with a physical stumbling block in front of them? Here, you listen to the word of Christ. And by the way, you have to look past all of my baggage. I'm relying on the unconverted to be more mature than the converted? Is that what the church is doing right now? As soon as the unconverted world gets their act together, then they'll be able to hear the gospel on our terms. The gospel preaches through the sacrificial nature of the church. This is, in fact, the gospel. Is it not? That Jesus Christ sitting in heaven, the triune Godhead in perfect peace and freedom and harmony and power and unity and peace perfection, that they look down on an earth that is committing suicide, spiritual suicide in itself, and they can sit back and watch, sit back and watch, but they say, stop, don't do that. And Did not God send his very son for this purpose, that I will sacrifice of myself so that the world might come to know me better? this isn't something you do once. This is a characteristic of your life that comes as you know and as you you find peace in the freedom that God's given you at a spiritual level. And you see this. It shows up in so many different ways with Paul. Ways that when people want to call him inconsistent, no, you're just looking at the wrong thing. He's perfectly consistent at a deeper level. So it's the same Paul who can say, we cannot make people get circumcised. You can turn to Timothy and say, look, if we're going to reach these people, go get circumcised. It's the same Paul who says, You should have to pay me for bringing you the message, who turns around and says, But I make tents on the side so that I'm not a burden to your church. It's the same Paul. It's the same Paul who, by the way, let's keep reading 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the orders release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go and pee, go go leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens. Oops. And they threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Because, by the way, this was against the law. Now the magistrates are subject to prison and beating. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. This brings the whole story to a new level. Because now you're realizing, now you have to realize that as... The city was turning against Paul and Silas. They had to decide, do we you, it's almost literally they have a get out of jail free card? So when the town's going, get these Jews, because they've set our town in uproar, and by the way, they've ruined my chance for profit, because they've done all this. Why did Paul and Silas then go, oh, ho, ho ho, Roman? I'm Roman. A lot of them weren't. Lydia wasn't. She's from Thyatira. You know, a lot of these people are they're Roman. Paul and Silas are Roman. Why then did they not play the trump card? You know, I have to wonder if there's just, you know, wisdom from the Holy Spirit. But here's the net effect. The net effect of them kind of staving off their rights as a Roman citizen. And I, Christian, how often do you use your rights as a U.S. citizen to demand things that God could care less about and that get in the way of you sharing the word of Jesus? They put off their rights as a Roman citizen, and the sum total of that is on the back end. you know what happens? There's favor now on the church. These magistrates don't want to touch these people anymore. Like they've held off and held off and held off, and now there's conversion from the jailer. Now there's a sense of indebtedness by the, the magistrates of the city to these two individuals so that the church of the Philippians is free to grow in peace. It's a way of life. It is a byproduct of experiencing the freedom of Jesus Christ, is that you can subordinate these earthly concerns for the sake of His gospel. All morning, this has been about freedom. All the students who came up shared about freedom. And I, it's my hope. It's my hope that if you have not experienced the freedom in Christ, that you would be drawn by His word and by the testimony of those around you that Jesus Christ does free us in this life from things that hold us in bondage. But it is also my hope that as Christians who claim the freedom in Christ, that we would not use it for our enjoyment, but for bringing joy to the world.